0: Hey, Fanboy Nation. This is your pal, Daffy Duck, and you're watching, you're watching, we're watching, you're watching Fanboy, 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 A Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dad, I assume no. Tom. <laughs> you know this man from 28 Days Later, uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, and so many more things. He's coming back as Professor Osborne on uh, Pandora on the CW. Oh, my God. Noah, how are you? Noah Huntley.
1: I'm great. I'm um. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm you know obviously slightly disturbed to be doing this interview with you without your
0: pants on. No, my pants are on. I I decided to grow my beard out about three days ago. Yours is actually full and lush, so. (laughs)
1: Um, no, it's great. It's great to see you. It's, uh, it's, I suppose it's been a few weeks now since we completed Pandora out in uh, Bulgaria and, uh, it started airing now. So we got episode three coming up this, this weekend.
0: Congratulations. I mean, the series has been a hit and got renewed for a second season. Um, these are definitely interesting times that we're facing.
1: Sure. I mean, unprecedented times and, you know, everyone's kind of finding their own way through it. There's no sort of set there's no, you know, it's all very well wearing a mask, but there's really no set um, um, set of rules that you can follow to to get through this. And everyone sort of rallied on this one, and we got it done. And it's a f- pretty much a three month turnaround. I think we've completed episode one about three months ago, so um, it's pretty fast given all the CGI and all the things that need to happen with with uh, with twenty one ninety nine and and Pandora being sci fi. So yeah, we're pretty pretty proud with that.
0: I was going to mention that where uh, the series is roughly 200 years into the future and uh you know sci-fi still has its place it's not going away anytime soon thankfully I think the yeah. beauty about sci-fi is that it could be a social commentary on modern times but because it's so, set so far into the future it's not going to hinder any uh political ramifications for today
1: yeah I cannot put it better yeah no that's, that's absolutely right and that, that's kind of what draws me to this genre as well is that it's um it's a sort of neutral it's a neutral um forum, but it's it, as you say it's a really great place to talk about alienation and uh prejudice and all of these kind of things in a in a kind of fun way, and that's uh that's hopefully what we're able to do, especially with such a youth um um oriented show. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to be doing that, you know, young minds that are kind of open and, um, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's been a, I think that's a huge part of what Mark's doing as well with the, with the production and, and, and um, why the CW have kind of hit on it and decided to give it another season and so on. So we're forging ahead and looking at season three now, we hope. So that's fingers crossed on that one, but, um, I think season two is going down really well, which
0: is great. Take me through the process of filming season one and how that went, and now with the world falling apart, um, you know how was it to film this uh, this season in comparison?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, it certainly had its own practical challenges just from, but I think that was more a production point of view and and sort of hats off to Phil Roth really out in Bulgaria because he managed to sort of talk to all the right government officials and and follow all the right protocols in order to make it happen. I think there are all sorts of things like insurances that most productions would have that um, he had to invest his own money, as I understand it, and, and then insurances would come secondarily. So. People, You, you really had to be personally invested in, in this time around because of the state that the world's in. Um, how That was completely different to season one. Season one, we didn't get a pilot on season ones. And Mark didn't have that much experience um, shooting in Europe. So I think there were a lot of things from their angle where they were, you know, chancing their arm and trying stuff out. With um, season two, a lot of those kinks got ironed out, so we were able to move much more um, cleanly through through a really intense schedule for for season two. But from an acting point of view, and from from my point of view, and and the character Dom, the Osborne character that I'm playing, um, we we were able to focus much more on the on the the central characters that have been created in season one. A lot of the foundation stones have been sort of already developed and evolved so we're able to step right into those and you're able to deal with more refined elements of interaction between the characters and that's kind of a nice thing with any show that evolves in that way is is the interaction is becoming more subtle because of the backstory that's being set um so that was really great but we we had you know it, i mean I mean, also I come in, (laughs) I've got this really privileged position of coming in and doing my bit and then swanning off back to England or wherever it is that I disappear to. Whereas Oliver and Ben and Priscilla are kind of lead three, um, are there all the time and they're on set most days. So um, they have the lion's share of it. Um, I get to come in, kind of make them all smile for a minute and then disappear and and recover.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good then. That means you get to tend to your garden. (laughs) <laughs> right. Since that's one of that's your hobbies. True, which
1: I love. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah.
0: That has to be hard as, a as someone that enjoys gardening as a hobby or even a lifestyle because you're vegetarian. So you're probably growing your own food sitting there and going, you know, all right, I'm going to be on a shoot for six months. What's going to happen to everything that I planted back in February?
1: <laughs> yeah. There, there's a certain amount of, um, You've got to jettison certain plans, um, that's for sure, and just accept that that's not going to happen the way you planned it to. But, you know, that's kind of the nature of my life and being self-employed and an actor and all the other things. I was noticing Sam Neill. I worked with Sam Neill on Event Horizon in 97, I think it was now, over 20 years ago, shocking to realise. But I noticed, you know, I noticed him talking about his uh, vineyards that he has in in New Zealand. And the operation that he's created around all that and the love that he's invested in all that. And seeing Sam, who often to me seemed quite tormented as, as an actor, just seeing him so um, comfortable and relaxed and happy doing something that's bringing him all kinds of success and all the people around him that are relying on him and 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 supporting him um seeing that cohesive teamwork work in a way that's totally not the entertainment industry which can be so cutthroat a lot of the time yeah. so that 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 was that's been really nice to see you kind of go oh wait that's sam I, I kind of know sam personally because of that experience many years ago and seeing him sort of uh come into the fruition of his life not only as an actor but also as a, as a human being and, and actually having those two things working together so Something about gardening and nature rhythms and, and the nature of acting and how it sort of comes in when it comes in and you can't force that. And the two things sort of help balance each other out, I suppose is what I'm trying to say.
0: No, I understand that because I grew up in the city, so I'm so used to the urban setting, but there's something about reconnecting with, with mother nature itself that, that is satisfying. Um it also humanizes your relationship with people like Sam and everybody else. Yeah. But with, with humanizing everything, everything that we're going through now, I know you become it's sort of like becoming classmates when you're on a TV series. You know, you go to work together, 8 o'clock or whatever time, you know, you're, you're called off the set, you go home, and that's it, and then you see each other at the, you know, next season when the show comes back. Um, yeah. How much it tighter is- has the unit become because now we have to take care of each other's health a little bit more as a society, um, especially on set.
1: Um. Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's 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 um. I mean, I, I mean, yes. I mean, definitely, that sense of family is there, and it's almost become a cliche now with people going, "Oh, it's we're like family on set." It's it's almost like, well, of course you are. You would have to be. How could you be anything but really? Um. So I think there is that caring for each other and there is also that sense of like oh you're probably gonna you know this is gonna end in in a few months and then i won't see you for months on end and you know that's partly just the profession and it's partly the nature of the job um so i don't know you sort of get used to you get used to that element of it and then i think what mark's quite good at doing which is almost runs counter to that is is keeping everyone in the dark which frustrates the hell out of me. I mean, I'm permanently telling him, like, this is like so counterintuitive. Why don't you, you hire actors and then you keep them in the dark and go, oh, here's a, here's a shocking scene and your, your shock at it is going to add some drama to the scene. You go, no, I mean, it doesn't. It just means that I'm shocked again in this scene. <laughs> So, uh, that's, so that's a constant battle. I suppose that, in its own way, is like a sort of familial dynamic where it's like all, all good families. It's fairly dysfunctional, and you're kind of operating not on necessarily the best of your 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 ability to kind of meld and be this cohesive unit. You're usually operating off sort of dysfunction and misunderstanding more often than not. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a way of making that all fit into this this sort of familial bubble. But I, yeah, I think everyone. I mean. I I certainly was saying to Max early on, who's our DOP, but also just like everyone's favorite friend on set. He's an extraordinary and intrinsic part of the Pandora production now. And I said, you know, we've all been in lockdown for three months. We're all going to be coming out. And he said, oh, yeah, but I think, you know, I can't wait to go to this restaurant. I "I don't even know if that restaurant's going to be open. And I'm like, I don't know if you'll be able to go. I think it's going to be. And also, I think more than all of that, we're all going to be quite fragile because we've all got into this slightly more, whether we like it or not, it's slightly more meditative inner experience, which is not so much about outer interactions as inner feelings and, and those kind of things that some people are good at dealing with and other people are like not. And, um, so I think dealing with that fragility was, was something I was very aware of, but other people seemed to be really cool with it. They just kind of got on with it and, and got on with the job and it was like nothing had changed. So I don't know, everyone deals with it differently. And so I found that quite supportive in a way. I, I certainly, I think any production you're on is a bit of a bubble and we were in our Bulgaria bubble and I think we came out of it and went, okay, great. We're ready to carry on with life. Now I went, oh yeah, that's right. It's still going on. I mean, this is this whilst we managed to do a sort of predominantly problem free production during COVID, you know, it is still very much um a global issue and a national issue and a personal issue and a community issue. It's it's operating on so many levels where it's really challenging people. So yeah, I'm glad we got something done, but we've we've come back to the reality of COVID. I sh- I feel like I should write a play called Because it's COVID because it's just become the sort of buzzword for everything now, isn't it? You go, why, why am I doing anything? It, well, because it's be kind of... So, um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a strange time. It definitely brought us all together more closely. I think people were extraordinary in the way they managed to do their jobs with these extra stresses involved. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, as with any other production, we've all grown very close now. I went off to the Black Sea with with um, Ben and Priscilla and Ollie, and they're like, I don't know what they're like. They're like best friends, and they're like brothers and sisters, and they're, you know, they're often like um, guardians in their own right. So there's this really interesting dynamic that's evolving, certainly amongst us us guys. I feel, and Vikash as well. I mean, Vikash who who plays um, Schwal. In the show, you know, I was playing Rocket League with him. He managed to bring an Xbox out to Bulgaria. So that was taking up some time. It's it's funny. It's funny. I suppose it should journal. it, um, And they shouldn't bore you with it all the details now. But it's funny reliving it.
0: That no, it's <laughs> quite fascinating because you got to spend time doing something that took your mind off the situation that's going on in the world. But I wanted to ask you with this, you know, you, you mentioned that we've become more introspective. We've kind of been forced to become more introverted in this. Um, you've already practiced certain meditation exercises like yoga and Tai Chi and a couple of other things. Was it an easier transition in that sense for you to become more introspective or was that something that was always a part of your personality?
1: I think that's always been a part of my personality. Yeah, I, I come from a big family and I think that intrinsic support of brothers and sisters and parents is is so natural to me that the challenge is not so much working within a group as uh, finding my own way and, and being independent. So that's been more my, my route through life and my life path, if you like. And yeah, I think more than those, those disciplines, which were all, all great, it's really just being able to be, you know, make that distinction between loneliness and aloneness. I think we're all fundamentally alone in this world, you know, and it's a, it can be quite a depressing consideration. Um, but it 's also the where the most um growth comes from because until you 're really happy with what you 're doing it's it, you can 't really make anyone else happy and you can 't be an inspiration to other people so um, yeah that's 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 certainly been that's that 's been my path and I find meditation actually more than yogas or tai chis which are all great they help focus through the body but I think actually just being able to sit still in silence for. 10 to 15 minutes a day ideally but um at all if not is a is a really valuable and important thing to do and to be able to do
0: and how would you define the difference between being alone and lonely because a lot of people have trouble distinguishing between the two
1: Yeah, there's some there's some new age book that I think there are several, actually, that talk about aloneness being all oneness and the clues sort of in the etymology of the word or the the, whatever that will be, the syntax of the word. And I think that all all oneness is sort of when you get that's the kind of aloneness thing is when you feel connected to all things. And loneliness is when you feel disconnected from all things. And so then that sounds very philosophical, but I sort of think you go back to the sort of the, the old hippie adages and the sort of New Age thing is kind of the is, love is what binds us all and the heart is what we all connect through. And so whilst we all might all be having different um experiences and different feelings and thoughts about what that is, the fact that we're all human and we all have that fundamental experience is is humbling and, uh, binding in its own way. So whether that, I think, I think, I think in, in, in your alone time, when you maybe do feel lonely or you go through loneliness coming into all oneness or aloneness, you kind of, uh, can experience vulnerability and aloneness. And those things can be devastating. And once you reconcile, that and realize that we are alone you know we're in this massive void of space for most of our existence and yet we're all intrinsically connected it's when you sort of feel that second part of that equation that it's not devastating and you also have that humility and vulnerability to interact with people in a more human way in the knowledge that they're probably going through something similar as well rather than seeing the world as uh, a group of competent individuals and in you not being as good as or whatever that might be. So yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but those are some of my thoughts around it.
0: <laughs> no, it does. Um, you know, cause the situation that's going on, especially with COVID and, and whatnot, you know, it's a, it's a tragic thing, but I hate to use the phrase because it's so cliche and generic, but kind of like a blessing in disguise because yeah. it focused so, it forced so many of us to reevaluate our lives, our identities, our values, you know, was materialism really worth it for some people? Uh, Is family more important? Is travel um, through all of this? What have you reevaluated personally that you thought that you needed to work on? And you said, you know what, this is what I'm going to focus on to improve my life and the life of other people.
1: Um, Well, I, I think first of all, just getting comfortable with that, Experience. I mean, I, I'm by the way, I'm not comfortable with this experience at all. I think there are a lot of people exploiting this situation in the background, too. And I don't think obvious for obvious reasons. Those aren't talked about. It doesn't really help you get through your day. But, uh, you know, if I was an investor, I, I'd probably be investing in Amazon right now because, you know, that's going to be a good share. Yeah. Um, You know, so I think there are sub-agendas with this whole thing and I find that deeply disturbing and I don't want to get onto sort of Trumpian paranoia about things, but I, I think there are deeper powers at work on this. But with the personal experience and how we manage this and how we connect with our humanity and our inner world and making that worthwhile in the world, you asked me what my experience was. I've been, I've been writing a lot over the last six months I've wanted to write for a long time and about two years ago I felt like we I felt internally through meditation that we were kind of going through this game of cosmic musical chairs I used to call it I don't know if it translates but you know musical chairs where you'd all run in a circle while the music music was playing and then it was slowly turned down and you had to make sure there was a chair there for you to sit on when the music stopped and I, I've been feeling that volume being turned down for several years now. And whilst I was still able to, I was traveling a lot. You know, I was traveling probably once a week, um, you know, with a terrible carbon footprint that I tried to offset where I could, but nonetheless traveling a lot. And we all kind of knew it wasn't good for the environment and wasn't the right way to continue, but we took it because it was there and it wasn't going to be there for much longer. And so about two years ago, I felt like, right, I need a place to land now from this kind of, um, experience of having run all over the world to do what I do. And, um, and so I kind of was able to do that. And I've been in a much quieter space, traveling much less and writing and wanting to become more proactive in the industry. So becoming a director, producer, writer rather than simply actor. But also more proactive in my life rather than just being a reactive human being that waits for the phone to ring and um, so I think those are sort of universal things that people can apply it's it's about actually somehow taking even though we're we're in more unknown than we never ever been before being comfortable within that to kind of to dream effectively you know to to dream your reality into being and imagine what your life could be like and what things make you happy and what feels good and and what's of value to the world at large. For me, certainly, writing's been something where I feel a lot of those qualities are coming up.
0: And has this reinforced uh, your views on activism and want, want to make you proactive as well in what you've been doing? Because you've worked with the Actors Benevolent Fund, you've worked with Greenpeace, Bloodwise, and, and several other charities. I mean, we've even heard that uh, you waived your salary from Chronicles of Narnia to help fund the Actors uh, Benevolent Fund.
1: That's actually a, that's actually an urban myth, but I, but I did suggest it when Disney came forward and said that they had no money to pay us and that it was the most expensive movie at the time that had ever been made. And I was like, well, if you guys don't have money, we might as well all give up right now. I said, so if you, if you don't, if you don't have any money, why don't you give me a hundredth of 1% of the gross? And in fact, you can pay that money to, to my, a charity of my choice and you can, I'll, I'll do it for charity. I'll do the job for charity, but I can't do it for the money you're, you're offering. And that was kind of the, that was actually my suggestion to my, my agent. And my, my agent said, oh, I don't think they'll go for it. And I said, no, well, that's not the point. The point, of course they won't go for it, but it will highlight how mean they're being. So, um, that's the reality of that story. Of uh, me paying, I pay separately to the Actors Benevolent Fund, it's a charity I support, and uh, you know, I think we're in, we're in, I, I constantly feel that um, I'm in such a privileged position in life, and I don't mean as an actor; I just mean living in the West and having the the privileges that we all experience. I look around, and think this is we take this for granted and as as a as a common thing, but we we must be in some weird one percent one percentile of the world who are living with sort of clean water and sanitation and all of these things that we take for granted and to be able to um, support in some small way charities that are looking out for people who don't have those uh, privileges as standards um, seems seems like a, a a given to me and something we should all be trying to do even if we even if we struggle to make those payments.
0: Yeah, I understand the situation. I mean, my parents immigrated from the Middle East, which used to be part of the first world and then eventually became the third world after uh, certain situations and a particular president from the 1970s that I'm not fond of. Um, it was, uh, Queen Farah's birthday the other day from Iran. So, you know, there's, uh, there's still some resentment in, in, uh, in the tone of my voice and everything no else doubt. That came with yeah. it. But, um, so I understand, you know, visiting the third world and having people and family that still live there and then coming back to the United States, it really makes me reevaluate what's of value and of significance over here. Um, can you fill me in on the charity itself? Is it just primarily for UK actors? Is it European? Is it international? Like, how does well, the, work?
1: Act, the, the Actors Benevolent Fund is is, is predominantly for UK actors. Um, but, but that's one of many, that, that's a charity that got highlighted because of the, the Disney piece, but it, it was, uh, it, it's a number of charities that I've supported just because I've become personally involved. You know, I had a twin sister with epilepsy and so I started sort supporting the Epilepsy Society. Bloodwise, I was lucky enough to, uh, meet a guy, Ken Lomas, who was putting together a team, um, of actors for the London Marathon and tv times at the time a publication over here a sort of um you know a listings publication was supporting the charity and giving a million a year towards um what was then leukemia research and slowly that corporate funding was was taken away and so but it was a a charity that I continue to support and and do now so that's now bloodwise and then there's epilepsy society and then Greenpeace which is something that I've been supporting since I was a child and I think the activism they do in the face of some of the mad kind of right wing politics and and um you know planetary exploitation that's going on with you know I think I feel like we're all in a very compartmentalized world at the moment where we're all focusing on what we can do to get through and that's sort of seen as as reality whereas the the bigger reality is this connectedness that we all experience and that we have a responsibility to and that that you know as a as a metaphor and a reality that's kind of the planet we live on and so, being able to take care of that is the best way I think of taking care of our collective interests. And so, and, and Greenpeace has been very good about at least highlighting um, some of the instances where the, that exploitation and that personal gain, with no consideration for either your fellow man or for future generations, is uh, is waived. Um, um, it's something that Greenpeace has been really good at, at kind of highlighting. So. So those are some of the charities that I've been supporting. And then Soil Association, the Vegetarian Society, and they're, they're all in line with with things that I've been practicing for a long time. I really didn't think being vegetarian 20 years, starting to become vegetarian 20 years ago was going to become a thing. But now I kind of I'm, – I'm so glad more people are on board with it. It's like we really don't need um, – Certainly don't need such carnivorous diets as most people have got used to. And I just think it's conditioning that gets us into living in that way. And it's, uh, again, about doing, having, have, going the extra step and coming out of comfortable automated experiences and actually questioning what you're doing and, and, and asking if it's necessary, um, what the impact is to, to other people and the planet and, and other more subtle forces, you know, and that's, I think that's just part of having an inquiring mind and that's Part of your responsibility as a, as a, certainly as an adult, probably as a child on planet earth right now. <laughs> so yeah, my activism, I, I'm a very passive activist, but, um, because I think it, in the end, uh, being informed is, is, is kind of the most important thing. Um, sometimes there's nothing to do, but simply being informed is enough. And so having an inquiring mind is the, is the starting place for that. And, in order to have an inquiring mind and nurture an inquiring mind, you need to come out of awesome automatic behavior, which is, you know, coming from indoctrination and imposed beliefs, um, that aren't really owned or self-governed. It's,
0: it seems that the way things have been going is that we've been, God, sleeping- oh, this is
1: a deep conversation.
0: <laughs> well, good. It, it's better than, than, so what, what was your favorite scene of season two that you filmed last week or whatever? Yeah
1: um wait i'm just going to turn
0: off some of the no problem um
1: yeah 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 no i i agree i'm I'm glad (laughs) we're having it
0: um you you mentioned that we become uh, compartmentalized and there's been uh, exploitative behaviors and i see it on on both sides of the aisle but it's also part of identity politics where it's come to the point that it's like, if you disagree with me on these three of 10 points, I can't talk to you anymore. How do we reach across the aisle and just are, become willing to exchange ideas again and go, all right, I might disagree with you with, from XYZ point, but I can see where you're coming from because your life experience led you here.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the danger is that any of these things become prescriptive in their own nature. So then you're just encouraging people to live a prescriptive life. And that's what we're trying to get away from. I think it's really about people thinking for themselves. and, And I think as you get going back to what we were talking about before about aloneness, as you stop looking for someone else to give you the answer and you actually sit with the discomfort of perhaps not having the answer yourself and not immediately being able to know it. That brings you a humility which allows you to connect to other people more easily. Anyway, so I I mean, I'm 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 not I'm not one for teachers and politicians and people who have these prescriptive answers to things because I don't think that's in line with an organic evolution of enlightenment and understanding. And I don't think unless you're unless you're aiming for that, I don't think you're really getting you're getting close. So. Wow, this is getting deep. I'm getting a bit lost in my own thoughts. Um, I think I think community is what I wanted to say in in answer to what you were talking about. Because I think part of the problem we've had with having these very global, uh, which has been necessary, but these global um, existences and global consciousness, is that we've lost sight of what's right in front of us. And I think actually, kind of knowing the names of your neighbours is a good way to start with how we connect with each other and help each other to be more human. And perhaps COVID or not, not having this over-reliance on travel um, is allowing us to, to to develop and evolve and reconnect with things like community that we've kind of lost um, in trying to be global entities and having a global outlook
0: well there's a, a sixty five hundred year old saying from ancient Assyria that said it's better to have a close neighbor than a far brother, so it seems uh history's coming full circle at this point
1: like that yeah um, yeah yeah with nothing's new <laughs> that's that's the that's comforting I always find you know you think we actually these things are great revelations, and people get caught up on the idea that it's a you know oh i i can't believe I missed that and it's like well it's, it's kind of
0: all always been there uh you mentioned about your twin sister being epileptic and i don't know if she's with us or not anymore and if she's not my condolences because we all know somebody that's had mm. epilepsy but to lighten the mood a little bit what's the most ridiculous mm. twin question you've been asked other than are you two identical or fraternal because i've heard that asked uh, of uh, fraternal twins quite often when one was a brother and the other is a sister
1: <laughs> yeah well I, you know to answer your question my sister passed away 10 years ago and i think it's because she went down the mainstream medical route and they had her on a bizarre concoction of drugs which clearly were, were not helping the situation over the long term but appeared to in the short term and i think they were very short-sighted about their uh, uh, medical the clinical medical approach to to dealing with it so that so that's that um but yeah i i mean <laughs> uh you know i i i mean i I've had some profound experiences with her and and through her you know not being around now i still feel feel very connected to her now and I think talking about those things in a mainstream often five minute environment um has led to some pretty pretty crazy mis misrepresentations around things you know there's this idea that I talked to my dead twin and i'm like what's well, yeah it's not quite i mean it's It's not quite like that. Maybe that's just how things sound in print. And it's like, you know, you have to have your your own personal experience with these things. But I think I feel quite connected to her still. And... um, in terms of how that's been in terms of, I don't know, yeah, ridiculous questions. I, I kind of, I, I don't think a lot of people knew about my twin for a long time. So I, I didn't talk about her and, and we had quite different lives and there are also three sets of twins in my family. So we were, we were weird enough as a family that they didn't focus in on the detail, but, um, or unusual enough as a family dysfunctional enough. I'm not sure what the right word is, but different anyway. And, um, so I think they were you know usually people when they kind of started to to peel away the Noah Huntley kind of veneer kind of kept finding these weird idiosyncrasies, and that that consumed people more than having to get caught up in in
0: in in stupid mad, mad questions. So there's a total of six children in the family or just three sets of twins and then more children on top of that?
1: Well, so there's, yeah, there's more on top of them. So three sets of twins and two singles who obviously pair up because they feel so strange.
0: (laughs) They're they're the neglected set.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, but we, yeah, I, I mean, I think part of the nature of having a big family, I don't think mum and dad set about to have so many, such a big family and certainly not so many twins. It was just a natural, uh, occurrence. Um, but it certainly meant that we, um, kind of, you have to create rule, your own rules, really. And that I think has helped us all as, as individuals, certainly amongst my siblings to kind of look at life as, um, in, in a slightly looser way than this um, w- way that I was referring to earlier, and the kind of the prescriptive method of this is how you do life, and if you don't, there must be something wrong with you, or you're dangerous to society. And so, I've certainly never had that prescriptive thing. Sometimes it feels quite appealing. But I've had the the opposite, where I kind of question everything and have an inquiring mind and have an open mind as far as possible, or try to, and also know what I like that other people might not like, and that that's okay for me. So, um, yeah, um, I don't want to ramble anymore. I know I've talked a lot
0: about things in quite a lot of detail. So no, it's, it's quite it. fascinating. That's what we want to talk to you about. You know, uh, are you the only artist in your family, or is one of your siblings, say your brother, like the most Opposite to you where he's say an accountant or something, uh, you know, a regular well, I job think we're, in a sense.
1: We're all, we're all pretty down to earth. I think more than being an art, I would, I find an artist, art, the, the, the nature of being an artist is quite a weird thing, but I think we're all self-employed. So I think that's, um, we're generally self-employed in my family. And I think that's something that was instilled in us is sort of being, having to answer to ourselves more than to someone else. And that, that feels quite good um so i think it's that first and foremost we had we had these because we were such an unusual family growing up we had strange people who'd arrive at the farm that we we grew up on and they were usually people that were slight misfits in society outcasts or oddities or or just dysfunctional in a similar way and there was one guy Ben who was basically i think what would probably be termed now bipolar but at the time we were told he was maybe schizophrenic and I was around 10 and I didn't really know what that meant anyway. He was just a mad and amazing Ben. He used to turn up regularly and he'd, he went around all the, the tips, the places where they'd throw out old hoovers and uh, vacuum cleaners and fridges and go-karts and all this kind of thing. And he'd find old things and usually get them working and then sell them to needy causes like my family. And so he was a, he was a regular and he, I remember him talking about putting Turbos on our go-karts that were made out of old vacuum cleaners. And I thought, this, you know, I couldn't believe a man like that actually existed outside of like Doctor Doolittle land. So he was, he was, he was an extraordinary individual, and never mind his his idiosyncrasies. And I said to him, Ben, to him one day, I said, Ben, what is it that you do? What's your job? <laughs> because he was always just the fascinating character. And he said, Ah. Uh, there was a long protracted pause and he went, ah, uh, I'm a freelance human being. <laughs> and I went, well, I don't know what a freelance human being is, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> so I've always striven to be a freelance human being first and whatever else, self-employed, unemployed, analysis,
0: second. <laughs> it sounds like he was more brilliant than mad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Definitely. So I think we're all, um, we're all kind of brought up with that, with that in mind and that it's, it's about being human beings first and human doing second. And, um, so, so that's, that's kind of where we're at, but yeah, to answer your question fully, they most, like my, my brother's a plumber. Um, so he's, he's a, he's a plumber. What's what else? Poppy has her own orchard, and she makes vinegar and cider and natural products um Doody, the youngest, is a Montessori school teacher and radio DJ. Um Justine lives out in Mallorca and she's uh she 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 does the dry stone walling in Spain, which is a sort of local traditional um thing. And Jessica is permanently temping <laughs> uh and has a boy a husband in in IT. So they're quite normal really. Um, you know, as as normal as they are. Abnormal. <laughs>
0: And do they give you grief for being an actor itself, or you know, oh my god, no, they they're just pleased prodigal. when I get a
1: job. We're, we're all we're all very supportive of anyone who's in gainful employment. <laughs> uh.
0: I love it. No, huh? oh, man, I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately, I know we have to wind oh, down because yeah. of the time difference and you being in the UK right now. Um, but next time you see me, my beard will actually be in. I won't look like this scruffy uh, homeless person that hasn't shaved in a week. Uh, where can we find you on social media if we want to connect with you?
1: Oh no, you broke me. I can't believe you've actually, can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, yes. For a second I could.
1: I can, I, I can, I've got you back now. Okay. Can you hear me now?
0: Yes, I can. I said un- unfortunately that we had Can you insi- hear me now? Yes, okay. I can. I was saying, unfortunately we have to wind down because of the time difference and, and I know we're, we're running short on time. But, uh, like I said, next time you see me, I'll have a a full beard and I won't look like a scruffy homeless person by then. (laughs) uh, um, I
1: look forward to it. It's been, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate
0: it. The pleasure's been mine. Where can we find you on social media if we want to connect with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I try and do most of them, or if I don't, I have somebody somebody else that sort of fills in for me when I'm not around. But I'm on. I do Instagram myself because I can manage a picture a week. Um, that's that's just Noah Huntley's my handle on that, and I think I'm an official Noah Huntley on Facebook and Noah Huntley on Twitter, and I have my website Noah Huntley dot com. Um, and if none of those work, just go and watch Pandora, and uh, that's every Sunday at eight on the CW or on the app. For free, anytime
0: afterwards. <laughs> there you go. See, you got the plug-in before I could. But Noah Huntley, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Again, as he pointed out, Pandora is Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Pacific. And I don't know what time it's showing in London, but we'll figure it out for you. Uh, play it. You know, you got uh, – excuse me. You're back for Season 2. Hopefully, we'll see you back for Season 3 and 4. And uh, your success continues. And I look forward to chatting with you on a uh, more semi-regular basis.
1: Fantastic. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You too. Take care.
0: You too. Bye-bye.
1: All right. All the best.